Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm uh, sitting down having a chat with Michael Morrison who is the founder of Blacklight Principle which is a workplace mental wellness consultancy but uh, Michael and I go back many years and in fact we're both Melbourne boys so here we are in Sydney having travelled all the way from Melbourne except we live here now. Um, Michael welcome. Darren thank you it's great great to be here. Uh, black light principle. What is the black light principle? Well, a black light is an ultraviolet light, and they reveal things that are hidden. And uh, I decided to start writing a book last year, and I decided to call uh, depression the black light illness because it was an illness which I had hidden for many, many years. And I then um, was thinking through what would be a good metaphor for um, depression and anxiety as it resides in the workplace. And I came to the conclusion that like many people, I had hidden it. Um, and uh, I walked into work every day saying, I'm fine, all's good, I'm just a bit tired. And of course, the, um, some of the symptoms of depression are simply tiredness and forgetfulness. Mm. Uh, and so I decided that um, the black light would be a, a good way to, to capture what I think is one of the issues in and around mental health. And that is that we choose to hide it. And in choosing to hide it, that does not help solve it. And particularly in the workplace, um, where in a lot of the workplaces that I've been in, uh, in advertising and media for 28 odd years, you dress up and you go to work and you don't want to reveal any vulnerabilities. And also they're in performance-based jobs where uh, you know, one role I had was to get 60 to $70 million a month in uh, uh, advertising sales. Uh, other roles I've had where you'd be, you know, you'd easily have um, you know, uh, say, you know, 20 or 30 pitches on in a given year. So there's a pretty absolute metric there, and that is that, you know, did you win or did you lose? So they're the environments, and yeah. And, and would your sense of self-worth mm. obviously often be linked to how successful or otherwise you did that? Uh, absolutely. For me, it was. Um, there'd be some people who'd be far more evolved than me and they'd be able to win or lose and still have great self-esteem. For me, uh, it was very much about whether or not um, we won and my contribution to some teams that were very successful. Uh, and conversely, when you lost, it was gut-wrenching. And uh, I think um, I didn't have any remedies really for that. And so I was in between the trapeze a lot. Uh, and that is a fear, that is a fear of, um, uh, of failure, and it's also um, there is a great flight in all of that. that that's a very anxious way to live, uh, going from uh, one oh. win to the next. But it's an industry, you know, where there's sayings like, you're only as good as the last ad you did, or mm. you're only as good as the mm. values of the accounts you control, or, you know, it is all about It is, it's, and they're all very much very, you know, uh, borrowed from the military, a lot of those expressions, mm. you know, like, um, you know, did you kill it today? Yeah. You know, I went, I killed them today, all that sort of stuff. It's very much, uh, the, the, the metrics are absolute, everything's very temporary, it's always about succeeding, um, uh, and of course, then when you work for 
um, some of the very big firms and the holding companies, it's always just about hitting the numbers. Mm. And if you don't hit the numbers, well, everybody's very disappointed. And if you do hit the numbers, nobody really cares because there's always another set of numbers. Now, I know this is a bit crass, but in some ways, were you, do you think you were attracted to advertising a little bit because you had this underlying illness? I think Because it is known as Mad Men, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It is. Um, I mean, that's what I mean by crass, you know. It, we call ourselves Mad Men, uh, you know, and it's almost celebrated that the well, industry mm. is not like anything else. Yeah, I used to say to people that, um, uh, you know, what we do here... Um, we, we're, we're helping capitalism sustain itself. You're not saving lives. You're not flipping burgers. What we're doing here is necessary. And uh, so for that, uh, there, was a, there was an underlying philosophy that you didn't dig too hard into what you were doing. Uh, whether, for deeper meaning. For deeper meaning. There was no, because there was none. Yeah, scratch the surface. Scratch the, there's more surface. Yeah, under the tinsel, <laughs> there's more tinsel. So, um, you know, so whether or not you were... Um, uh, you know, working on a tobacco account or a toilet tissue account or selling cars, yeah. you were creating demand, right? And so you were creating false needs and then meeting them. So, um, you know, that, but you actually enjoyed that and that was the game. And uh, there But were, it is incredibly intense, isn't it? I very, mean, you, call, you know, you called it a game and, and mm. the, that, that just immediately made me go, yes, yes, we keep talking about it as a game. But it's mm. a game that has incredible highs and lows, and the, and to the yeah. victors the spoils. Mm. But if you fail, well, you fail hard and you fail public. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you know, if if you do really poor work, um, it's very visible. If you fail and you lose, um, uh, say from a pitch point of view, that's very visible. Everybody knows. Um, it's not a war, uh, and so to use war-like sort of. Um, uh, you know, lexicon to me seems to be uh, a bit irreverent. But um, we would always say that, listen, lives aren't at stake, but livelihoods are. And the reality in advertising is that, um, you know, if you do lose a big piece of business or even a small one, uh, more than likely places are going to be uh, resized. Mm. Uh, in other words, we're going to sack some of your friends or the place is going to, you're going to become de-emphasized. Um, all these wonderful Always euphemisms to say, we're going to have to whack 30 people because we just lost a big Downsizing. Chunk. Because we just lost a big chunk of business, let's uh, we're going to have, and those decisions were made prior to the pitch result coming out. Mm. Yeah, and it's worse when you're an incumbent. When you when it's an incumbent pitch, the the victory is twice as sweet because you've saved the jobs of people who you know, as opposed to simply um, winning a piece of business and putting on jobs. Yeah, and the irony um, uh, for me running pitches is <laughs> that when uh, accounts move, uh, the people also move. Mm. Right? It's almost like half the people move up from one agency and move to the next, especially on those big pitches. Well, it can be. I think the uh, the issue for people's health with regard to advertising is just how much stamina that it takes. Um, you've got to be incredibly resilient. Um, it takes an extraordinary amount of stamina. And I think that is, and there is no respite in that. Um, I never found any respite. I never found um, that there were days where I was bored. Uh, and certainly the more senior that you um, became, uh, the, more the more responsibility and you saw, um, I suppose, the, the, the greater extent of your remit, what you're responsible for, the people you're responsible for, and the consequences of not delivering. Mm. And I think that's one of the things, isn't it? Because when you first get into the industry, 
It's more about, you know, the party. It's glamorous. The, the making the ads, doing all of that. Mm. And then the further up, yeah, and you work really hard. I mean, yeah. you know, people in advertising work 60 hours. Yeah, they work. Easy. They work weekends, you know, mm. and, and you climb this tree, except that it's there's no reward at the top. Except no. more responsibility, unless it's your own agency. But If, if your name's working, on the wall, it's different. But, um, you know, we would joke that you get to the top and there's nothing there. And, you know, we regularly um, got to the top of a number of agencies and then transferred to others and it was still the same. It was the same problems, just with a different set of letters on the wall in a different colour. Uh, and cultures weren't that different. Um, the only culture that mattered really was a winning culture. Uh, mm. and so if you had a winning culture, that was the culture. Um, but to say then that, you know, that we had some sort of a, um, a deep and highly textualised culture to me would be overplaying it. Um, I think that um, advertising, it, 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 it's funny, you do get in when you're young and you do think that it's um, glamorous. However, um, you know, the ads are glamorous, um, but the business is not. Um, and we would regularly um, say to each other, let's never do this again. Let's never work through the night again till 3am, go home, come back at 6, mm. rehearse for another hour and then go in. Uh, and yet that would happen. And we we were pretty good at um, being able to manage pitches, but um, it's... It's no way to live um, when you are regularly telling the studio staff, hey, listen, um, you know, uh, what do you want on your pizza? Because we're about to order in another 20, phone your partner, you're not going to be home tonight. Mm. And, and that, that is that, routine. That's the, that's the, and that is routine. That's not um, irregular. That's, that's commonplace. Uh, and what is commonplace is um, I'd come in and do a uh, get ready to do a rehearsal at 7.30 and they'd say, we didn't leave, Mike. And I'd say, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, and do you think, because, you know, it's interesting from my perspective, because when I left advertising as a creative person and mm. started this consultancy, I tell people it took me about two years to deinstitutionalize myself. Mm. And that was that when a client would say, I want to meet with you, it was mm. like jump. Mm. And I would say, how high? Mm. And it took about two years. And I remember the conversation. It was a client that I'd been talking to for about a month and they weren't quite sure. And then suddenly they found up and said, yeah, yeah, we're ready to go. Yeah. And I looked at my diary and there was just no way that I could meet with them that week unless yeah. I started moving things. And I remembered at an agency, you would do that. Yes. If a client said, I need to see you tomorrow mm. or this afternoon, you would move everything to actually mm. do it. And I mm. said, look, I can't see you the next week. And they went, oh, okay. But yeah, then clients and sometimes complete, they would play to that. Profit. Clients would play to that, and they would know that uh, oh, you know we see it as a sign of your passion for our business that you're going to make time and sacrifice for us. Um, uh, sometimes that is uh, that's not noble, um, and it certainly uh, at times it simply looked mean. Uh, and then there was simply just an ambivalence. Um, I don't care if you want the business. Well, then I'll see you at three o'clock. Mm. So I think. Um, there is there are two parts, um, you know, to, to to the advertising business, and that uh, clients can dictate a great deal of the culture in the place. I mean, the biggest client in the agency always dictated the culture of the organisations that I was in, mm. uh, and so for all of the agency's great philosophies and books and processes and strategy uh, and all of that, which I was involved in, um, if the client didn't subscribe to any of that. Uh, well, then you simply operated the way the client did in the organisation. Yeah. Now, that's, that's for some people who um, aren't in advertising or who are in agencies, uh, it doesn't dawn on them that the client, in fact, has dictated the culture of the organisation. 
Yeah, and and you're right because you know when I um, since leaving advertising and having those conversations with you know accounting firms and lawyers mm. and things like that, mm. they just have no concept. Mm. You know, they they literally think of advertising agencies as crazy places mm. because they think that they operate on a completely different paradigm. I mean, law yeah. firms yeah. are not jumping. Um, because the legal process sort of just goes on, mm. you know, grinds on and on and on. Whereas advertising, sometimes, you know, having come from medical research and working yep. in hospitals, yep. you know, in a hospital, it's life and death. Yes. And yet I saw the same responses mm. in advertising agencies as if it is life and death, as if the culture yes. and the relationships is, you know. And I remember... Um, yeah, very much. When I, uh, I did copy school in Melbourne. Yep. And I remember the old Melbourne copy school. Yeah, yeah. Sandy Ladico, who was a copywriter right. at the Palace at the time, said to me, this is life and death. Mm. And I went, oh, it's, you know, it just didn't compute. But I've seen that. I've seen it. And, and it, it's incredibly Well, it's, a, it's a competitive business and you know who your competitors are. And... Well, often your colleagues. uh, Well, first of all, the competition resides inside the organisation. And, uh, you know, we would often say, well, listen, you know, the competition is outside the window, not inside it. But that's somewhat naive because, of course, there's competition inside the glass. Um, There is, and the the competition is very public and they're well known and you know who they are. Therefore, um, you are, and that's why we, you know, call it a game. The game is, you know, how do you get yourself bought, you know, before you pitch? Mm. How do you get yourself bought before the presentation? Uh, if you think that you're pitching against four teams, uh, like agencies, and you think you've got a one in four chance, that's naive. Um, we would try and always get it down to the last two and then give the procurement guys someone to play a price off game with. Um, but we were never in the business of making sure that, um, or making it that um, uh, fair, mm. you know. Uh, and indeed, you know, when I was at George Patterson, I mean, we were known as the chairman's choice for years. And for obvious reasons, we weren't in advertising, we were in business. Just have no so that our business was advertising. So here's something I noticed, and I wouldn't mind you uh, commenting on it, is that it is an incredible pressure cooker, mm. right? It, it's, it really is very demanding on people. Mm. Um, and people form really strong bonds while they're working together. Mm. But I also found that when you move from job to job or even leave, that the actual number of those people that you formed the strong bond with is actually relatively small. Yes. Is that your observation as well? Is it transient? Yeah, very much. I think, well, I think it's like being on a team. I mean, the other thing that people must um, consider is that in any commercial relationship, even though you might be friends and colleagues, there is a dollar bill between you and that person. Mm. Uh, Now, that means that there will be times in which teams together can achieve great success, and that's fantastic, and you get a lot of war stories and things like that. That doesn't mean that's always going to hold you together. Maybe the genuine relationships that are based on genuine friendship, uh, that there is that you confide uh, and you are vulnerable with, maybe they're the relationships you take with you, but you could could count those on one hand. and it's a bit like Facebook friends. Um, there's a lot of people who are familiar to you mm-hmm. and uh, you may have worked with and that may have been um, fun and you've had some success and failure. But that doesn't mean that translates then into that next level of um, being that circle, that close circle, which in fact actually uh, genuinely cares about you and, and you care about them. Now, um, going back to uh, Blacklight Principle. Yeah. 
and I get uh, I get depression, you know, the 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 as a as a mental illness, and uh, and it was called the black dog, which yes. I always I hated the black dog, but I actually like this idea of black light revealing what's hidden. Mm. Um, but there are also a whole range of other mental illnesses, aren't they, in the workplace? Yeah. And some of those make people incredibly successful. You know, I know mm. um, talking with a, a psychiatrist friend of mine. He said one of the main, uh, the most successful CEOs often have what's called borderline personality disorder. Uh, yeah, um, personality disorders um, uh, and the ability to focus uh, on the goal at the expense of all else um, is yeah. something which uh, is, is, uh, helps you succeed in advertising. And there's an absoluteness and there's a purity in the thinking that keeps you focused. Uh, and I remember being at George Patterson and we would and you know there were three of us Hamish McLennan Matt McGrath and myself you know we were taught by the likes of Hamill Cousins Elliot and they would say our client only needs one answer but they need the right answer and so when we were preparing either um, a project a campaign or a pitch uh, that was the mantra so there was an there was a purity in the thinking there uh, and that means you don't in fact actually discuss things with great depth or breadth that means you are looking for the answer which the client needs right then that'll get you bought it doesn't necessarily need to be the right answer for the client. It's the right answer in order to get you on the slate. Mm -hmm. You can come up with the right answer after that. That's why a lot of pitch creative work never gets made. It's all very good. Uh, however, um, that was to demonstrate that, in fact, you know, you're, uh, you know, we like you and we like the way in which you think, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you've presented the right answer. Mm. Uh, and it takes and time to produce an answer. Yeah, the expectation that someone that doesn't really understand your business or has had the opportunity to get under the skin of your business yeah. can come up with an answer is, is a pretty flawed expectation anyway. It is, yeah. But, I, but I'm interested because if, borderline, you know, for instance, borderline personality disorder is something yep. that can make people incredibly successful and not just in advertising, in, in all sorts of businesses, it only really becomes an illness, doesn't it, when the behaviour has implications in the wellness of the whole person. Like you could be incredibly successful in business, but if you go through a succession of relationship breakdowns, yes. if you start using uh, drugs and alcohol to yep. deal with the you know sense of emptiness or futility, it's only when the whole person is is not functioning yep. that it does become an illness. Because it, you could be does. completely functional personality disorder well you can and but the other thing also is that people generally who have got um either a personality disorder or a bipolar they can be very damaging to other staff yeah uh, however they are kept on because they might be very effective now i've you know in my own experience i suffer um bipolar too and that means that i suffer from some highs and lows and when i'm on people could tell that i was on you know, and generally, um, uh, I was fortunate a lot of those uh, being on moments were in and around pitches. And so they would say, okay, well, Mike's really on today. I'd often write a presentation, however, when I was on, and then I'd deliver it, and I'd have to deliver it in a week or two or whatever, fly around halfway around the world, and I'd be in a really low space when I had to deliver it. And I'd be on the plane rewriting The total opposite. It, the total opposite, rewriting the presentation furiously to simply deliver it in a competent and more uh, less bold way. Uh, now, that was deeply troubling uh, for me to manage. Uh, and sometimes I could feel it coming on or I'd wake up and I'd say, no, this is not it. I don't need it today. 
And that's, uh, and you know, whether it's, you know, big meetings that we would have with Saltra here on Telstra or I was running, um, you know, uh, two-day workshops that I was charging a, a, an enormous amount for. Um, and I'd wake up and I'd say, no, I'm not on. How am I going to do it? Mm. How am I now going to re-manage myself so that I am still on and adding value, yet people will not notice that I am feeling morbid? And then that becomes a performance. It is. You know, you have to put it on. You are. And, and it's incredibly draining because, it, you know, <laughs> when, you're, when you're on, it's almost like the energy is driven by your own illness. Well, the right? joke at Pat's or what I what I was, where's Mike? Uh, mm. And uh, because after a presentation or whatever, uh, I'd drive home and go to sleep or I'd be asleep on the couch uh, in yeah. my office. And the joke would be, where's Mike? Well, um, because depression is, um, uh, is exhausting. I mean, yes, there is sadness, worthlessness, but there's also um, exhaustion. And I'd suffer enormously from that exhaustion. Mm. So after I was on and because I was doing large lumps of the strategy and I'd be first on the feet uh, and I'd do a lot of the... Um, you know, face to face and the deck, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'd find that I would be exhausted and it would take me a while to recover. And I don't mean like an afternoon, you know, that, that post pit presentation fatigue would last for some time. Mm. Mm. Uh, Boyd only if in fact you got a phone call within that three days. I mean, obviously if there's silence for three days was our rule of thumb that you're dead. Yeah. Um, if you were buoyed by some questions that came back, that might make you feel better. Um, however, I, I found it to be, like I said, it's in between the trapeze. It's a terribly exhausting experience. Yeah, you left dangling there. You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, because you fill up on the success. Yeah. You know, and that fills you up. And then, but yeah, in some ways, what you describe is the types of, you know, sort of extremes that people go through in that industry. It is. It's it's um, it's easily it's easy to lampoon the ad industry, and it's sometimes it's so it should be. However, um, the people that I've met um, have been first of all incredibly hard workers, mm. um, and we often said that part of our job is to do our clients' job for them, and many clients said that to us. The other thing is that um, they there a lot of people have skill sets, and some people have talent. And then those people who have talent, they're the really ones who can turn it on. They are the rainmakers, arguably. If their name's not on the door, they're part of that top 1% of the agency world, um, which are really gifted, seriously mm. gifted. And, uh, and we knew uh, at times we could strike lightning into a client's business and it would get a great result. Um, but keeping the team together was the most important thing. And when you do have a great team and, it's and it is together and you win a lot, it feels pretty um, not invincible, but there's an enormous amount of confidence that you walk into the room with. And people buy people. Mm. Therefore, they buy that confidence that you have. Yeah, they're these, attracted to it. These are our guys. And they want it. You leave the room and they say, yep, these are our guys. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've, I've actually been on the other side yes, with the course. clients when uh, you and uh, Hamish and uh, Matt, Matt yes. came in. And, you know, you did the, uh, the almost spotlessly perfect presentation and left the clients absolutely knocked off their seats. You right. know, every other agency, I think they saw eight agencies in right. one day. Right. And there was only one agency that they could actually mention by name. And that's testament to when a team has got it yeah. together yep. and presents brilliantly. But, I mean, more than just the advertising space, because you also worked in media. You, yeah, you I did, yeah. 10, I was a, and I was you're a working at 10. And a very commercial focus there. Unbelievable. Because it was all about 
selling and and mm. hitting numbers and things, which yes, advertising is part of that. But this is like relentless, month in, month out, week in, week out, yeah. at a time when the business itself yeah. was you know it was number three amongst the commercials, and mm. you know people had question marks. Then you went to another agency. You yeah, went, went to ran, an ocean then. Yeah. yeah, you went and ran an agency. Yes. Now, the reason I bring that up is not necessarily to talk about it, but you know, now you've taken a, all of that experience. Mm. And what are you offering business in Australia? What are you offering the commercial landscape of Australia with all of that experience? Uh, a way to achieve productivity gains, but not through working people harder or not through just another process, but by addressing the accelerants to mental health issues inside companies. Mm -hmm. And because I've been in, um, you know, worked in companies and I've been on assignments, you know, all around the world, I've been, I know what it's like inside a few companies. And I know that sometimes the language we use, the um, processes we use, the uh, KPIs, the workloads, they are friction points which can increase the likelihood um, or accelerate uh, anyone who might be suffering some sort of a mental condition. So that is my primary focus. And the financial gains out of that are simply gains in productivity. Well, productivity as defined by the World Health Organization, or the lack of it is, uh, forgetfulness and tiredness. Mm. And people see things like absenteeism, they see uh, a rise in bullying, they see, and they, they call this, you know, this, this bundle a lack of productivity. So I set this up, first of all, in order to be able to speak about mental wellness in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, and then also to be, uh, to which a lot of, it resonates with a lot of people. That's not, that's not to say that they, uh, you know, uh, ring me up or give me a like here and there, but I just, it just resonates with a lot of people. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, um, where yeah. um, Trinity P3 is a corporate member of the Ethics Alliance, which is part of the Ethics Centre. Right. And earlier this year, there was a big presentation and discussion around moral harm hmm. within corporations. And it wow. seems to me that there is a a huge growing awareness and wave of interest mm. beyond the physical harm yep. to the moral and the psychological harm yes. that some of our modern business practices are creating. Yep. Because everyone pays lip service to our human resource, our human capital yeah. is our most important Which investment. is the worst term I've ever heard in my yeah. life. Yeah. When we started referring to people as human capital, I think that was another tipping point for us. To look, and at, to look at people in spreadsheets. There is a triple dividend to treating mental illness. There is one for um, the staff member, there is one for the company, and then there is one for the community. Mm. So there's a triple dividend in doing that. What we do have is um, now we've got badly organized companies that have systems and processes that give rise to friction with customers. Now those customers then create occupational abuse and take it out on staff. If we think about everybody who might be in a call center, um, whether it's an insurance company or a telco or a bank or whatever, all of them have received occupational abuse. They've received occupational abuse because at some point the systems and processes of that company have created such friction with that customer that they've gone past a point where they're being polite and orderly or whatever and they go ballistic. Now that's an area that needs to be addressed. We can't simply just, if you've ever received a no reply text or a no reply email and you felt like replying to it, um, coupled with five phone calls to try and get something, you know, joined up, hooked up or put on or whatever and nothing happens and you're ringing back different people. Those digital moats, those lack of organised processes 
are in fact actually contributing to you know flashpoints with consumers mm. that then take it out on staff who have families and homes to go to. Yeah. And, you know, the problem is the decisions are made from people higher up and mm. not seen, you know, the coalface, the people, the interface to the uh, consumer is where all of that abuse occurs. I used to double-jack phone calls in staff uh, call centres when I was working on various telcos, etc., and I was horrified at the way in which they were treated. Mm. And I know they're trained in that. That doesn't make it any easier. Just because you're trained in handling yeah. abuse. Yeah, yeah. doesn't make so, it okay, easier. So, I'm sorry, you're getting shot at. You've been trained in getting shot at. Okay, yeah. that doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm or, sure there's a way... easier we... to sleep at night. You know? I'm sure we can do better. The yeah. other thing is, and, and it's certainly at middle management and higher management, is where the performance metrics for those managers mm. is all about hitting the numbers. Mm. And it rewards people that might bully their staff, might yeah. take a heavy-handed approach or an uncaring approach. Yep. Because everything is about hitting their numbers and, and not no, about actually, you know, building a cohesive, healthy, performing team. That manager um, uses possibly bullying as a strategy because maybe they have not had any input into the composition of those targets. Um, I've been in jobs where I have received the budgets that I'm meant to hit without any input whatsoever into the composition of those. As a result, you feel this has been set as a bar, a high bar for you. It's been set for you to do anything that it takes. Uh, and I remember we had a philosophy in one company uh, that I was in, and it was whatever it takes. Mm. Well, whatever it takes means all bets are off. It means, um, you know, uh, politeness, stewardship, care for the customer, care for your staff, care for yourself. That goes out the window all in the name of hitting the number. Yeah, nice uh, lip service. Nice, oh. nice things to have on the website. But as soon as it comes down to actually hitting the numbers? Hitting the numbers, uh, and, th and this is one of the, um, uh, when does, um, you know, the, when, when do the targets become, uh, you know, too much or excessive, or in fact, they're simply not reasonable given the business conditions. Mm. Because they are set, given a set of assumptions. And if those assumptions and those conditions change, then you achieving those numbers mm. uh, is just an impossible task. And sometimes when the tide goes out in business, it stays out. And the, a miracle is not going to pull it back. Mm. However, the lack of, uh, we would, have, we would uh, call the budget committee in New York the disappointment committee. Mm. Well, we're very disappointed with your performance this <laughs> The other one I like is the uh, the seagull tour. You know, where senior managers <laughs> oh, yes. fly around and they get to shit on everyone. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> before they fly off. Again. They are. I mean, uh, agencies are like medieval villages. You get visits from popes. Yeah. Uh, there are artisans there. There are kings. There are queens. There are princesses. Uh, and uh, you know, there are knights. And yeah. uh, to me, you know, it, it resembled the medieval village far more than it did anything else. Um, I remember one time I was running an organisation, and when the global CEO came over and the lift doors opened. We were all in reception and we had to applaud. <laughs> Spontaneously. Spontaneously applaud as uh, he was presented with flowers and I introduced him to the rest of the staff. Yeah, lovely. That's okay. It's a cultural thing. Now, you mentioned before you're working on a book. Yes, I am. Um, what else are you doing? Yeah, um, you're uh, yeah, available books. for speaking, I believe. Yes, you're indeed. Thanks. I, um, uh, two things. One is I, I decided um, I drew a line on my health last year. I felt that I wasn't getting anywhere with it. So I decided to admit myself to a facility to try and reset my health goals. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a very, uh, you know, trying month. And I was in at South Pacific Private and came confronting. out- Confronting? Very confronting. 
Yeah, yeah easily the hardest thing that I've ever done. Mm. Um, and uh, that's where, um, you know, they uh, take you through a process of assessing your health, assessing your, uh, you know, your mental and your emotional health, etc. And you're with there with 50 other patients. And uh, I decided this was necessary and came out and I've written a book called um, uh, To Be Continued Flying High, Feeling Low. And flying high, feeling low is uh, is really an apt description for uh, my career because at times I flew high uh, whilst feeling um, three out of ten. Yeah. And uh, so the, this this first book is largely a um, a book about my life and my story and how I masked my condition, etc. But coming out of that is a second book, which is more about now what are the strategies that I use in order to be able to manage my life. So one's the story, the other is the more practical guide. Yeah. Uh, I'm speaking to companies now regarding uh, mental wellness in the organisation. Part of it is telling my story, part of it is here is a, a, a Dorothy Dixer question that I ask every single conference I speak at and I say, who here wants to do a good job at work? 100, 100% of the hands go up. Uh, do you have a culture and people and processes that allow you to do a good job at work? All right. Now about 40% of the hands go down at that point. Yeah. So there there's and- There's a gap. There's a huge gap and yeah. that gap contributes to things like depression. And there are also um, industries which are far more susceptible in fact, healthcare workers, mm. carers, people in the transport industry. I'd imagine the banking industry would be a bit depressed. I'd say the they'd be suffering a bit. Now, they might be suffering short term sadness. I don't know whether or not it's going to translate into long term sadness, which mm. is what depression is. Um, however, um, depression is also the, the lack of joy in anything that you previously found joy in. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, no, they're, you know, they're having their uh, come to Jesus moment, and uh, you know, hopefully there'll be a bit of shaking out. Mike, look, uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but I, I just want to thank you. Um, you've been so generous with your uh, your experience and your thoughts and uh, with sharing what you're doing. So I wish you all of the uh, the best Appreciate for it, the future. And uh, just one last question and quite a controversial one. Um, who's the biggest bully you've ever worked with? Mm-hmm.